Well, episode three, we're back again and uh, taking advantage of some cool down here in Nebraska. We actually uh, have some good temperatures and it was too nice to try to do this inside. So we figured yeah. we'd come outside and figure out a uh, spot to do it and get some beautiful tasseling corn in our background and um, got some over in front of us as well. I know not everybody can see it, but it's nice to see those kind of things, right? It is, it really is. Uh waking up to a good old Nebraska sunny cool morning and and uh, like you said the corn's tasseling here and and uh, it, it's hard to believe it, it seems like we're on time right now so. <laughs> I know for as for as late as everything got planted there's a you know most everything's doing really well yeah. you know I know there's there's some guys that don't have some stuff in the field but but what's in there in the majority of it, it is in looks absolutely amazing right right so good news is Corn's up, beans are up, cotton's up, wheat's up, cattle are up. So everything seems to be working out so far. So hopefully those trends keep keep pushing up. Gotta love it and hopefully it keeps going north. So we were sitting around the other day trying to figure out what we were gonna do for episode three. You know, yeah. coming up with topics every week is it's challenging, but we gotta find something that that works. So I don't know, you know, I, I think between the two of us, we're windy enough to find things to talk about. So. <laughs> yeah, so I hopped on the old Google machine and typed in ag trends and ag topics, and I found a, an article from AgWeb, um, and it was titled AgWeb's Top 10 Mega Trends for Farming. Right. Um, so I figured, well, why not print those off, and we'll go over each one of them and give our input or some other input that we got from other people, and just kind of... See what it's all about. Sounds so, good. Sounds ready, good. Ready to jump into it? Let's just jump on into her. All right. The first one is uh, is all you. So the it, it's uh, shifting farm structure. Uh, it says here, a large transfer of farm assets to younger producers will soon occur. The average farmer is 57 years old, and 30% are over 65. A typical Midwest farm of 2,000 acres could conservatively be worth 10 million just including land value at about 5,000 per acre. The trend towards larger farming is gonna slow until it hits its equilibrium. You know, and I know with your financial background, right. there's there's a lot that can go into to that transfer. So I'm not smart enough to talk about it, take no, it away. I, I appreciate it and, and this subject is, is pretty important. Um, you know, the age, the age gap continues to rise, like you, like you had, like you had stated, and uh, you know different demographics. Uh, the age group may vary, so this is just an average, um, but but it shows you that uh, it's climbing pretty fast. Um, but uh, one thing that I wanted to mention, or several things I wanted to mention about um, the transfer of, of farm operations is really about structure and 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 you know it's really uh i i use the word caution um because uh, you really you know the 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 business the farmer the farmer running a business operation because that's what they are mm -hmm. um, really needs to lean on their advisors okay um, you can Google all you want you can do searches all you want try to do it yourself all you want um, but when 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 push comes to shove you need to lean on your advisors uh, whether it be an attorney for for those estate tax laws uh, whether it be your CPA and, and I say CPA to, to rely on those tax laws on the books because the estate laws change the tax laws change 
and it depends on the different administrations we have here in the U.S. Um, and and in some some circumstances, state by state, yeah, they will vary. Um, well, and we touched on that a little bit in episode two with with some of some of the stuff we talked about there. And I had mentioned, you know, some inheritance taxes, if that's what you're 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 doing, if you're transferring it that way, you know, can be up to thirty percent. You know, and and if you just looking at it, thirty percent of ten million—that's that's a lot of money. A lot of money, and not only do you have an inheritance tax, but you have estate tax laws. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what I would like to say, just just in short, like I said, lean on your advisors. Yeah. Um, definitely lean lean on them. Um, but there are ways, um, you know, if you have a multi-generation farming operation mm-hmm. or, or dealership or business, whatever business it may be mm-hmm. uh, related to the ag industry, um, there are ways you can start passing um, via gifting. But you, let me caution you, you can only gift so much a year. Yeah. Um, so, so this there needs- are trusts. Um, there are just several avenues that you can pass on and retain ownership. Yeah. So, so th- this is something that needs to be done over a longer period of time. You know, it's not something you want to do going into next harvest season or ne- next year, or and you you want to stagger that out. I from the way it sounds. For for the most part, um, it doesn't happen overnight. No. Yeah. No. And and the beautiful. The beautiful thing about doing something like this, if you do it the right way and lean on your advisors, this can all be done privately. Yeah. It does not have to be public knowledge like it would be if you did not do your planning. Well, that wouldn't be farming, though, because everybody knows everybody's business, right? (laughs) So let's keep something private for once. Right, right. There you go. Amen. Well, let's move on to number two, acceleration in technology. And I, we kind of, again, touched on this, you know, a little bit in last week's episode, but uh, it says here, data analysis in the years ahead will supplement what farmers know intuitively, and in some cases, challenge those assumptions. New products rely on aerial satellite imagery, greenness sensors, soil maps, millions of weather data points. The question of data ownership mm-hmm. yeah. will be the subject of growing debate. That's big. It is, and a lot of people don't realize that your farm's data is like it's is like your social security number. You know, it's 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 how it's identified, and 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 obviously you can access a lot of things via a social security number. Or it can be equivalent to real estate ownership. Correct, exactly the same thing. You know, and we talked last week that that family farms make up the majority of all farming operations out there because you got to know your land your soil, what pesticides work better in certain areas, you know, and, and, and that can vary from field to field like we talked about before. You know, so there's there's several products out there that people are using these days to make farming not necessarily easier, but more technological where they can figure out, okay, let me scan this field and, and it's gonna tell me, you know, how my hybrids are and, and you know, when they, when they harvest it's going to tell them what their harvest report that kind of stuff is well those those products usually have a huge lengthy terms and conditions right right and and unfortunately we're always in such a hurry that nobody really reads those terms and conditions not so much you know especially when they're you know two pages or three pages worth of stuff right um unfortunately 
you need to, right. you know, because that's that's the big question is, is so you, you collect that data, you're flying your drone out there, you have a company come out and you do it, you're evaluating everything. Well, do they have rights to that since they were the ones doing it or the company, the software that you're using? And it all depends on that terms and conditions and, and what was in there. That's a big subject. It yeah. really is. Is everything going to remain private? And like, you know, like you said, everything is automated uh, driven. Yeah. Automated driven. And, uh, you know, really what that comes down to is is why everything is automated driven is, is ultimately, like you said, you know, hell, do you, do you, do you want to read a three, four page report? Instead, you have everything automated driven and ultimately it makes that business owner make a better decision. Yeah, it, it does. And, and one of the, the articles I was reading about it, there was a guy that started using the, the program. I forget the name of the program, um, but he essentially is able to do test plots within his, his field um, and not really take any extra time to do it. He, you know, he can spray a certain area a little bit different he can he can you know plant a little bit different seed or give a little bit more moisture here, whatever it may be, and he can fly the drone over there or you know have somebody come out and scan it and tell the difference from the air. He doesn't have to wait until harvest to see how that's performing you know differently. No, and that technology is put on irrigation systems as yes. well. Yep. Um, um, like you said, so so certain certain amount of say fertilizer along with water can be put on a certain say a 20 acre segment or plot and then the rest can be something else yeah. or, or you can do wh whatever equivalent equivalencies you want to so yeah so I think there's you know two, two things to take away from this topic is you know protect the privacy of your data and know who owns it you know um, you know so do a little extra research when when it comes time to to make that move. You know, and then again, you say do your research, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, but, you know, I mean, we have professionals mm -hmm. in this industry for a reason. Yeah, well. And, 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 and I, I encourage people to do their research. Yeah. But rely on your professionals. It's going to save you money in the long run. Well, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and you, you definitely want to you know, rely on a professional, but at the end of the day, you're still making that decision. You're in control. So, so pulling your professionals is a part of your research is what I was getting at. Oh, sure. So yeah, Definitely. absolutely. You bet. You bet. Thank Cause there's always going to be somebody that knows more than you do about a certain thing. But of course. Yeah. All right. The next one is kind of a little controversial topic. It is. Um, I, uh, kind of, I'm excited to get into it a little bit, but, uh, biotechnology strategy evolves. So we're talking about GMOs, and it says here, GMOs are here to stay, but face po political and public relation hurdles. In such states, states as Vermont, where labels are required, implement, implementation is expensive, yet some GMO advocates back a federal label solution that would halt state efforts. The, <clears throat> the industry can benefit by helping turn public opinion. So you get on the internet and it's gmo versus non-gmo what it means etc so i actually reached out to a very bright young man who's a graduate student at the university of iowa a scientist right well ki kind of yeah he, he he's going to for animal science and nutrition okay well um uh kid's name's devin jacob um and i asked him i'm like what are your thoughts on gmos and i'll, I'll read what he what he sent me um 
and we can kind of go from there. So he says, well, without GMOs, there's no way we'll ever be able to yield enough cereal grain, fruit, vegetable production to feed 9 billion people by 2050. And he said, really the whole non-GMO thing is a marketing ploy because there's only 10 crops that are certified by the USDA to even use genetic altercation. Thus, when you see something like non-GMO orange juice, this is a joke, all orange juice is non-GMO. Right. So, and then it says, as far as uh, GMOs on a health standpoint, there's nothing to be scared of. It's using existing genetics to alter or replicate genes or DNA of that plant. The genetic makeup of the plant may change, but the result is increasing yields, drought tolerance, etc. Those things which we have to have, and truthfully, there's no scientific evidence to prove the fact that there's an advantage to eating non-GMO product. Right. You know, and I also read a study um, that uh, backed that up. You know, and it said there's billions of GMO product that are crops that are produced and there's not a single health issue in animals or humans that can be linked to any kind of GMO stuff. Not any proven facts thus far. Yeah, and, and, so. and so that's a, a great debate. I, I personally um, will probably, uh, you know, stand next to Devin on his assessment to it. You know, I think it's kind of, unfortunately, it, it is here to stay. And, and there's farmers that are producing non-GMO products and they're, they're making their money and everybody's entitled to their right, their, their way of life. Don't you, you know? think that comes down to a little more organic? Is, is that where? Yeah, I think that's kind of where it's heading. And, but, but, but then again, how do you define organic? Yeah, I mean, I mean there's that's so really... many different phases in developing organic as far as from what I've read. Yeah, so. I, I mean, it, it's all open to interpretation. And, and, and there are companies that are exploiting that, using it for their marketing. So again, you know, trust professionals like Devin in this situation and and make your own assessment from there. I agree. And one thing I wanted to, you talked about a marketing ploy mm -hmm. and, and I kind of, I'm pro that. I'm, I favor what you said yeah. on that because, you know, right now what I, something I read, which really astonished me is there are 64 countries around this world that require labeling for GMOs, yeah. 64 countries. The only exception is Canada. Yeah. And that just, that's just, it kind of shocked me. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. You know, so I'll be so. anxious to see if they pick up on it. I know we'll probably touch on it a, uh, here here in a little bit, but I know China has reduced their regulations they on have. GMO products. Yes. And they're becoming more in favor of them. Right. Because, let's face it, they got a lot of people to feed over there. They really do. <laughs> you know, and, really and so they, they're going to need the high yields and and drought tolerance, that kind of stuff that, that, that we're going through right now and, and pushing. Yeah, and so. we're gonna be talking about some other subjects coming up about why China will be affected so much yep. on this subject too, so. Yep. Good point. All right, the next one, and this, this, this one's kind of a subject that, you know, it's been happening for years, you know, but uh, they're putting a little bit more weight behind it. So, um, agricultural production is becoming more specialized. In 1982, 35% of all farms produced corn. But in 2007, only 22% did because of, because of economy of scale, technology advancements, <coughs> government policy. Today's farmers have diversified with organic, non-GMO products, 
and high oleoak, 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 soybeans and high starch corn. Right. So farmers being diverse in what they do is nothing new. Y you know, I mean, has it shifted a little bit? Yeah, it has, but the principle has always been there. You know, I know there's a lot of guys now that are maybe doing a little bit more irrigated alfalfa. You know, they're they're bailing their straw and 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 selling that kind of stuff. It's another source of income. But you know, you you always have your your same type of farmers. I I feel you have your same you, classes of yeah. You have now. your row crop corn, soybean guys, and then you know you have they might do a little bit of wheat in there as well. But you have your guys that that raise corn and soybeans and do cattle. You know, and, and that kind of stuff. And now you're seeing guys that are doing, you know, depending on their you know where they're located at they're doing corn and beans and sweet taters and you pumpkins. know pumpkins that kind of stuff so th they are diversifying yeah. it and and that's that's good i mean diversity is a good thing but i'll tell you this you know a lot of the people that i have worked with over the last few years have been in the in the south and we all know the south is <coughs> cotton country yes. right so about four or five years ago the cotton market was rough it took a tumble you couldn't give away a cotton picker to save your life well that's about the time soybeans and corn were on the rise and so there's a lot of guys went from planting cotton to doing row crop stuff corn soybeans yep. that kind of stuff well let's fast forward three four years where are we at now cotton cotton's on the rise again right? well cotton's it's happening it's it's that's where money's being made it's man. it's crazy you know, in, in, in the equipment business, I've seen it, you know, again, five, six years ago, couldn't give a cotton picker away. Now, you can't keep them in. I had, I had a dealer down south that had eight roller pickers in stock, had them for three, four days, sold six of those to South Africa almost instantly. The other two were gone by the end of the week to local guys. And we're not talking, you know, fifty, seventy-five thousand dollars $75,000 machines. We're talking three to 400000 you know. So while diversity is a good thing, I think that you kind of stay your lane a little bit, right? You know, and, and, and make sure you're doing your bread and butter and what you've always done. If you need to dabble and try this and try that and, you know, dip your toe in the water. Don't just switch to the next best, best thing all the time, you know, and, and stay consistent because consistency is key in a lot of things. Consistency is huge and you bring up a valid point, um, you know, stay the course. but. You know, in your areas, if you want to diversify, um, really in your areas or your demographic areas, recognize the need or yeah. the market for that yeah. product. Oh, absolutely. You know, do your homework. Yep. Um, second of all, you know, learn about that product inside and out. Yeah. Well, you, you're, you're exactly right there. Where I grew up, about two miles down the road was, was Tim Lambert. He had Lambert Melons. Uh-huh. I don't know how much land he planted to melons, pumpkins, you know, that kind of stuff, but it, it was insane. And, you know, all the high school kids would work for him in the summertime and pick them and then they'd go sit at the local Alco or Bombgars or whatever and sell them out of the back of the truck. And, and it's been a very, very good business model for him where he's still doing it today, you know? And, and that was a situation where he found a need, a niche within his area and, and he's not, he, he's a farmer just like everybody else. Yep. It might go in the ground different. He might harvest it different. You might sell it different. You're not calling a grain broker for watermelon. Exactly. But 
but it, he's still a farmer and he found that niche and it works. It exactly does. It exactly does. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, by diversifying and, and, and really learning the ins, ins and outs of, of a product and so forth, talk to other producers around the country. Um, you can really learn a lot. I, by us talking yeah. to other farmers or other people in the agri agriculture community, oh, yeah. we really learn a lot. I oh, mean, absolutely. And, and it's just amazing. One or two points you can take from, from a person and, and do more research. And, and for heaven's sakes, um, it can really affect your life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. All right, next one, number five. We're halfway through. Uh, says here more than 40% of the food production increase since 1961 has been accomplished through irrigation, but groundwater supplies aren't infinite. Concerns have growing concerns have grown about the Ogallala Aquifer, which produces 30% of the U.S. irrigation groundwater. If trends continue, the aquifer, aquifer will be 60% depleted, according to one study. Climate change also poses challenges. Scientists estimate that for each 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit increase in temperature, crop yields drop by 10%. Right. Well, we're in Nebraska. Yep. The Ogallala Aquifer is in Nebraska. It is in Nebraska. So it's, it's always a topic that comes up whenever you're talking about anything Nebraska ag related. Um, you grew up in the well drilling business. I it, did. As is a kid and, and your, your family's still in it. Um, I'm sure they, they have some takes on it or, or you have your own opinion. I, I really don't know enough about it to, to comment a whole lot, but you know, using some of your old age and wisdom, maybe. Well, I think, I think the, the key is we want to conserve as much water as possible because, um, you know, and I'm, I'm going to tout on Nebraska a little bit. Um, um, Nebraska does have um, the best uh, groundwater in the United States, it's 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 been proven. Um, and uh, one thing I wanted to say is, if we if we put all the groundwater from underneath the ground and put it on top of on top on top of the ground, yeah, if I can talk <laughs> on top today, of the soil, on top of the soil, thank you. Um, here in Nebraska, we would have 47 feet of water. Okay, we do have plenty of water. But the key is to conserve the good water. Yeah. Um, and um, there's pros and cons. Um, you know, it can really affect it can really affect our crops uh, as far as irrigation goes. Uh, but we do have local NRDs across yeah. the state of Nebraska. And I, and, and I know and our, our our NRD system, you know, from from the parks and some of the hunting stuff that I do is exceptional. They they do a very good job. Most most do a very good job, um, and they they are doing a lot better job of education. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, now there there are NRDs that uh, I think most have now regulated the amount of irrigation water that can be done, and, and most have gone to metering irrigation yeah. wells. Um, which and is, which and is there's good. pros and cons yeah. of that too. You know, yeah. it, it depends on what side of the fence you're on. But True. Uh, I think it's all good. So bottom line is when I yell at my kids to turn the water off while they're brushing their teeth, I need to continue doing that. I, I think it might not be a bad idea. Okay. And, and one other point I want to make um, is a lot of us come from rural areas. Yeah. We know where groundwater comes from. 
if you don't know where groundwater comes from, educate yourself. <laughs> it comes from the ground. I like it. All right. I like it. All right, moving on here to number six, changing commodity environment. From 1980 to 2004, the correlation of corn prices to crude oil prices were 0.35 cents. So from 2005 to 2013, that figure more than doubled to 0.87. Other commodities similarly illustrate the strong relationship between energy and crop prices. Future crop demand growth appears less bullish than in re recent years because biofuel demands has largely run its course although the future demand for soybean exports will remain strong china which buys now buys two-thirds of all soybeans traded has built a soybean stock levels from virtually zero to about 17 percent of use you know that's going to ease the the input appetite a little bit import or import yeah, yeah. sorry you know it's it's one of those deals and, and and i think there's ebbs and flows to everything that goes on in the market or even day-to-day -day life but you know i think we're gonna have kind of a tough year with soybeans this year um you know corn got put in a lot later so beans got put in a lot later um and i think you know everybody was talking about planting corn so late the corn has obviously recovered the soybean i i think is gonna get the bag bad bad rap for this year I, I talked to a guy in in illinois uh, a couple days ago and you know asked him how his crops were and everything he says corn's great but my, my soybean stuff is is rough it's yeah. about knee high right now um normally it's it's you know waste or or, waste or, or better high, yeah. you know by by this point so i think you know we, we live in a supply and demand type economy or world per se and uh so we're we're gonna have less soybeans produced this year. I think I think you're right. And and after our, our, our next round of export, I think we're gonna be use like a third of our of our U.S. stock in soybeans. Yes. Well, what's that tell you though? You know, we're we're sending out plenty. You know, we're sending out the same amount. We're bringing in less. Supply versus demand. There's gonna be more demand than there is supply initially. And so you're going to see those those prices creep up and and there might be a big boom. But it's one of those things I think that there's a there's a there's a false floor there. It'll come back down. There'll be a market correction. So don't hedge all your bets and, and your your future plans on high soybeans because it could be a one to two, three year process. And then it could trickle back down for that typical market correction. Right, right. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, you know, it could be, it just doesn't happen overnight. And that's why we're st still seeing some uncertainty in, 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 uh, in the market. Um, you know, and the same thing on the corn side um, as the soybean side, um, you know, that, that ethanol bill yeah. was passed. Yep. Um, I just wanted to point that out real yeah. quick. Um, you know, so we may see a gap widen on that as well, supply-demand theory. Um, um, I don't care. That theory still works. It, it'll always work. Um, but uh, that that didn't happen overnight. It's not going to happen within 30 days. Yeah. It'll take a year or two for that yeah, to absolutely. come into play as yep. well. So just, you know, take a patient pill and, and yep. just go for the ride. Yep, Absolutely. Um, we're going to shift a little bit on number seven. We're going to talk about some of the stuff that's going to affect our cattle ranchers. 
Um, it says uh, meat consumption shift. U.S. meat consum consumption has declined about 7.8% from 2007 to 2013. Meanwhile, China has been the world's top meat consumer since 1992. By 2012, China's <coughs> consumption more than doubled that of the U.S. <clears throat> China's red meat and poultry consumption projected to rise about 15.2%. The U.S. likely will ship more pork and fewer grains to the country. This is because it's more cost-effective for China to import, you know, a finished good. Yeah. And it poses a good a good point. You know, we, we, we produce a lot of a lot of beef. You know, I, I know we do ex export, you know, a fair amount as well. Obviously, China's going to consume more. I mean, their population is is substantially larger, larger yeah. than 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 what uh, of ours or anybody else's, you know, in the world, you know, to, as a matter of fact. But I, I think I think this might get to that point where we're finally going to reach a point where cattle prices and commodity prices kind of even out. Because usually you have either commodity prices are super high and cattle's really cheap, you know, because it costs so much to feed a cattle, you know, feed a cow. So in order to buy one, I got to get it cheap. And, you know, but if we can open that up where we're exporting that more, I think it's a win-win for everybody. I think you're right. And uh, I know you're right. Um, and I think our exports will will continue to increase on that beef side, yeah, um, as well as on the uh, or, uh, grain side. But uh, you know, I, I talked to a chartist the other day, and uh, you know, your theory that you just stated uh, totally matched what the chartist said the other day. So I, I'm smart sometimes. Chris, <laughs> I'm really shocked. Is it Wednesday? Well. First time having a blooper or uh, an incident, I guess. We, we actually recorded long enough that we, we ran out of recording space, and so we had to take a little break, and... We did, and, you know, part of that was uh, me being a little breezy on a breezy day, uh, you know, trying to compliment uh, my associate. No, I think, I think you can keep the compliments coming um, uh, if you want, but... I'll try. <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's move on to number eight. It's public scrutiny of livestock treatment. And obviously, we touched on this a little bit. Well, actually, a lot of it, you know, in, in, in depth on our show last week um, with the Fair Oaks dairy incident. Well, um, there's some more stuff that, that has come up, but we're going to read what they say and kind of take it from there. So public scrutiny of livestock treatment consumer demand and regulatory insistence on a range of safeguards for raising livestock in ways deemed sustainable and humane are causing rapid changes in the food system. Large food companies and supermarket chains are phasing out the use of sow farrowing crates from their supply chains. And it goes on to talk about a few other things in there, but, but this is the hot point. And, and here locally, we had a local calf ranch owned by Tools Dairy um, come up on animal abuse allegations. Uh, just what Monday, Tuesday, I believe it was. Yep, yep just right down the road from us. <laughs> excuse, excuse me. Um, but yeah, so it's 
we're, we're going to read the the report or the invest what the investigator found there, and let's talk about it a little bit and and kind of go from there. So it just says here among the cruelty witnessed, our investigator found workers shoving, jabbing, and hitting calves with sorting sticks and hut rods. Painful disbudding of calves using hot irons. Calves dying of scours pre pneumonia after being left outdoors in freezing freezing temperatures. Hernia repair banding and other painful procedures without pain medication that was from animal equality now there was a response provided to news channel nebraska summit calf ranch owner todd tools said the animal welfare is the highest of priority at tools dairy and this past winter provided some of the most challenging weather condition in decades in spite of these difficult circumstances this video shows workers handing animals handling animals in a way that indicates they were attentive and following proper guidelines in their treatment so you know, we, we talked about this a little bit last week and, and the fact that if you're not there, you're not living it. A lot of cases you don't understand. I, I grew up on a farm and a ranch. I, I obviously helped my uncle and, and my aunt uh, at their dairy. Now, unfortunately, there, there is a, a certain level of force that you do have to use to move them. They're, they're 12, 1300 pound cattle. Heavy animals. And, and you got to move them along to, to, to do it. And, and that's a fact. That, that's no different than some horses that's no different than hogs or or goats or anything like that it's it, it's livestock. it's part of the livestock way other than maybe a chicken where you can pick a chicken up and walk it over right but but i think a lot of these organizations are 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 people in suits that don't understand what goes on in rural america yeah you've got to consider the source or sources right and and, and this feels now i've actually tried to reach out to todd tools and tools dairy to get their side of it i know we're not you know super big or famous or anything where they might warn a com call back but hey i'm gonna try not so much. you know um and and get their side of it because to me reading everything that i've read um and then following some of the comments on social media and stuff the people who either work there or you know know that family you know directly have classified it as a witch hunt. Right. And, and, and that kind of seems like the trend because there's one bad apple, all must be doing it. And then we talked about that the last time. And, and unfortunately, that's just not the case. It seems like that happens in so many organizations around the country. Yeah. That, uh, you know, I don't need to repeat it, but I mean, it does. And, yeah. and uh, you know, we need to focus more on the good. Yeah. Uh, of what's happening in in organizations and right and, and, absolutely and how things are rolling well, they, they, they have over 10,000 head of cattle right right how many people do they employ I'm not sure well that's what I'm uh, saying I, I don't know I don't know either I know it's I know it's a quite it's, a staggering number it's more than one or two yeah. and they're in Nebraska they're in Wisconsin and they're in Kansas so they have three states that they are providing to the economic growth of that that, that geographical area. You know, and sometimes you can do all the training in the world and, and so, some of those things are out of your control yeah. as well. Um, you know, it's just one thing that you've got to constantly educate your employees yeah. on and uh, I'm sure they'll do that. Yeah, and in and, and, and reading this this article and, and doing a little research on the animal equality uh, company that did this, they, they're basically wanting end users, you know, that don't go to the store and buy milk, go buy almond milk, or, you know, don't buy eggs, buy, you know, simulated eggs, stuff like that. 
you know so they're wanting the consumer to put a stronghold on these companies well unfortunately that's gonna that's gonna do way more damage to the economy than than anything else that's that's correct because it is our end user yep that uh, drives the economy yeah absolutely um, let's move on here I guess uh, number nine environmentalism influence gross growth Grows. or grows yeah. from fertilizer to pesticides farmers have to be mindful of a complex growing web of regulations one of the f fiercest battles in the chesapeake bay area watershed a judge ruled in federal district court that an agreement between environmental protection agency and six states to implement a total maximum daily load of pollutants filled within the framework of the Clean Water Act. Farm groups have sued to try to stop implementation of the 2011 agreement and warn that they will be th that that ruling will have implications nationwide. <sighs> Tell me a little about it. What's your thoughts? Um, I don't know. Do you have some written fact? I I just I think some of it's kind of going overboard. Yeah. Um, I really do. Um, I think there are ways that our, our end users and, and, and some of our companies are are really trying to prevent some of this stuff from happening. Yeah. Um, that's not being publicized. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, some of that's by uh, you know you, you know natural remedies. Yeah. Um, so to speak, to combat some of the issues that you just discussed in in this point. And I guess my point is I think some of this gets blown out. Yeah. And and uh, and I I don't need to repeat myself, but I, you know I guess what are your views? Well, obviously anything that you can do to protect to protect the environment is is good, but we've reached a point in society where you have to do a lot of research to actually understand what what's real and what's not you know it's it's not you, you can't take anything for a grain of salt or can't take any anything's as its legitimacy just by reading it you you need to do your own fact finding stuff and and you know what if 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 this is i don't really know enough on this subject if 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 it's a good thing great i'm all for it if if at the end of the day it hurts our producers and and in our growing seasons and, and then that kind of stuff, well then maybe we need to relook at it and figure out a solution that does work. Well, again, I, I think we need to, I, I mean, I agree to a lot of your points there. I, but, you know, then again, I think we need to rely on some of our professionals that are trying to combat yeah. some of the, the issues at hand. And uh, I mean, they are addressing, addressing the environment, but at the same time, trying to keep up with production in, in, in normal everyday business life. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there are solutions out there, but maybe not the solutions at hand that the suits right. have recommended. Right, absolutely. Well, good, good enough here. Let's move on to number 10. Government <coughs> policy in flux. Successive administrations in the U.S. and other countries have established approaches to, to land use, biofuels, GMOs and monetary policy that seem likely to continue. The biggest change 
had somebody buzz us on a motorcycle there, huh? They so did, nice, on, nice, they did it on purpose. They, <laughs> they nice, just, nice they, day to be out riding. To see us at hand. Um, but the, the biggest change is likely to occur in China, and we touched on this earlier, which is solely embracing GMOs. Chinese acceptance of GMOs and for domestic crops would go a long way towards maintaining self-sufficiency and potentially turn the country into a net exporter. I don't know if I quite would go that far for them to be a net exporter. Um, that's, that's a little, can they, a little can, down the road. Can they move themselves into a situation where they can be more self-sustainable? Yes, absolutely they can. But there's no way, not in any time soon, will they be able to produce the type of crops that they need and the amount that they need in order to be self-sufficient. And I think the U.S. and I hope the U.S. has learned their lesson in, in, in this conversation. And I think they have because um, I think in order for them to be an, a net exporter, um, the U.S. would have to teach them what to do. Right. And, and we have taught other countries what to do, the U.S. has. And it has, in the long run, it has hurt yeah. the exports. Yeah. And and I'm not only I not only do I believe in that, but I've heard that from other end users as well. Yeah. And uh, you know, at hand, I think that's a long ways off. Um, if 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 that ever happens. Yeah. Maybe in my lifetime. I don't know about yours. Yeah, because I'm old. Yeah. So, um, well, cool. I guess that's it. We touched all ten subjects, and hopefully gave good honest solid opinions and um, I guess these are these are very solid points Chris yeah. um, I'm glad you did the research uh, on this on this podcast anyway um, <laughs> you know it's a lot nice to see you put a little work in there you go you yeah. you. I'm, I'm more than but, a pretty face but no my point to this is all of these are valid points people end users businesses do your research yep. use your professionals the way you should use them um, it'll save you money in the long run. It'll make you more money in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. One last thing, our viewers, our listeners, find us on Facebook at The Dirt Exchange. We're on Spotify and iTunes under The Dirt Exchange Podcast. And also, of course, YouTube and the as well. Yep, so look us up, like, share, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Please, we might have some cool stuff coming out here soon. Please do it and uh, we'll make it work. Yep, that's a wrap. Thank you, sir. Good to see you again.